Lord, we just come before you. We ask that you guide and lead as we open the word and that you will show us what you want us to see from this uh, section of numbers as we examine it. And we just thank you in your son's name. Amen. All right. We're going to be looking at Numbers 26. And it is as repetitive as Numbers 1 through 4 with all the list of names and, and numbers. So I get, the fun, I get the fun of trying to figure out these Hebrew names. <laughs> yeah, speaking in tongues tonight. Uh. <laughs> Verse 1, And it came to pass after the plague that the Lord spoke unto Moses and, said, and unto Eliezer, the son of Aaron, the priest, saying, Take the sum of all the congregation of the children of Israel from twenty years old and upward throughout their family, their father's house, all that are able to go to war in Israel. And Moses and Eliezer the priests spoke unto them in the plains of Moab by Jordan near Jericho, saying, Take the sum of the people from twenty years old and upward, as the Lord commanded Moses and the children of Israel, which went forth out of the land of Egypt. So we'll stop there for just a moment. So remember the plague that they're talking about is when the women from Moab came down and seduced the children of Israel into sexual uh, fornication and worshiping the idols. Okay, we talked about that last last week and the, the plague that killed uh, uh, 24,000 of them. And Eliezer was able to stop the plague when he went, drove the spear through the two that were very bold in their in their uh, display. I thought it was Phineas. Eliezer. Uh, Phine oh, Phineas, the son of Eliezer. You're, you're right. Um, did that. And so now God is saying, okay, it's been 40 years. You've left, it. You, you left Egypt. Now you've wandered around for 40 years. It's time to count everybody and see how many people are still around, basically, and get them ready for the taking of the land of Canaan. So in verse 5 it says, Reuben the eldest son of Israel, the, the children of Reuben, Hanak, of whom comes the family of the Hanakites, of Palau, the family of Palau, Palau, Paluites, of Hezron, the family of the Hezronites, of Kami, the family of the Carmelites. These are the families of Reuben, and they that were numbered of them were uh, 43,730. So they they have lost a few, they've lost about three thousand people since they started wandering in the wilderness, and many of these groups go up, but many of them go down, and we're going to see that the net change is about two thousand people less, uh, actually about eighteen hundred people less than when they started. So the population has pretty much stayed the same after forty years of wandering in the wilderness and battles. All right, so. We look at this and we go on and it says, The son of Eliab, uh, the sons of Pelu, Eliab, and the sons of Eliab, Nehmuel, and Dothan, and Ab Abiram. This is that Dothram and Abiram, which were famous in the congregation, who strove with Moses and against Aaron in the company of the Korath, when they strove against the Lord, and the earth opened up her mouth and swallowed them together with Korath, when the company died and the time of the fire devoured 250 men, and they became a sign. Notwithstanding, the children of Korah died not. Okay? So we want to look at this, and they're talking about, remember the, the rebellion of Kor, Korah, and, 
and uh, Dathan and Amram, uh, Ambiram, came up and they said, you know, what, what's so special about you, Moses and Aaron? Why did you guys get lifted up? And you know, why should you be the the prophets? All of us can, you know, we're we're all children of you know, the promise. We any one of us can be <laughs> listened to by God. And remember, if you remember the story, God separated them and said, okay. Have them separate themselves, and I will choose whom, whom, whom will lead. And, and if you remember, the earth opened up, swallowed Korah and most of his family. And this verse tells us that not all of his family was killed in that. It didn't wipe out the entire line of Korah. And the fire broke out and killed 250 people. And that's all back in, in uh, Numbers 18. And verse 35 is the specific place where it tells us that 250 died. So we, he's going over, we're going to start looking at a history as we go on. And when we get done with numbers, we're going to go into Deuteronomy. And Deuteronomy is Moses' last statement to the, to the people. And it's a very, uh, I heard one pastor describe it as the last uh, message that he preaches to them. It was just a, we, we take a long time to read it, but it was a one, <laughs> one day message because we're seeing that Moses is getting ready to be taken out and going home to, with God. And so we continue here. Uh, verse 12, the sons of Simeon, after their families, of Nemuel, the family of the Nemulites, of Jamin, the, fa the family of the Jamanites, of Yachim, the father of the Yachimites, of Zephar, Zephrah, the family of the Zarhites, of Shau, the family of the Shauites, and these are the families of the Simeonites, 22,200. All right. Anybody want to read these names for me? <laughs> You're doing fine. I'm doing fine. Keep going, huh? Of the children of Gad, after their families, the Zephon, the family of the Zephonites, and Haggai, the family of the Haggaiites, of Shuni, the family of the Shunites, of Zani, the family of the... Uh, excuse me, Osni of the family of the Osnites, of Eri, the family of the Erites, of Erod, the family of the Eraites, of Arielei, the family of the Arielites. And these are the family of the children of Gad, according to those that were numbered 40,500. And the sons of Judah were Ur and Onan, and Ur and Onan died in the land of Canaan. Okay. This goes way back uh, in this particular story. It goes all the way back to Genesis where Judah had three sons. Two of them died. One died and then the other one had to take his wife and he angered God by not producing uh, offspring for his brother. And God killed him and then Judah would not give this woman to his third son. And if you remember the story, she went out, pretended to be a prostitute, <laughs> while uh -huh. Judah was shearing his, his uh, sheep, and he decided he wanted to play around, and he went into her, produced a child, was ready to stone her, and he had given her the staff and signet ring to her, and she took off. And uh, when, she's, when he says, you deserve to die because you played the harlot, because he's like, getting, you know, it's time to get rid of this girl. She's been uh, you know, thrown on my side. My sons have died because of her. And she goes... Whoever these belong to is the father of the child, and he recognized that it belonged to him. Okay? And that story, if you want to re, re, re read it, is in Genesis 38. 
Okay. Uh, so Er and Onan, they died in Canaan long before. And the sons of Judah after their families were of Shelah, the family of the Shelanites, and Perez, the father of the Perizzites, and Zerah, the family of the Zarites, and the sons of Perez were Hezron, the family of the Hezronites, and Hamul, the father, the family of the Hamulites. And these are the families of Judah, according to those that were numbered of them, six, uh, excuse me, 76,500. The sons of Issachar, after their families, of Tola, the family of the Tolaites, of Buah, the family of the Bunites, of Jashob, the family of the Jashobites, of Shimron, the family of the Shimronites, and the families of Issachar, according to those that were numbered of them, 64,300. Of the families, of the sons of Zebulun, after the families of Sered, the family of the Sardites, of Elon, the family of the Elonites, of Jael, uh, the family of the Jaelites. These are the families of the Zebulites, according to, to those that were numbered of them, 60,500. Of the sons of Joseph, after their families, were Manasseh and Ephraim. Okay, and remember, Joseph gets a double portion of the tribes of Israel. Okay, because the Levites are taken by God and says they're mine. And Joseph got two parts of, of the families. He's going to have Manasseh and Ephraim. Okay, and that was chosen by his father Jacob or, or uh, Israel. And he says, I get your first two sons. <laughs> they're mine. You know, but remember when he went into, jo into Egypt and he said, uh, you know, these, are, these two are mine. You get any others at you. <laughs> Any other sons are yours, but these are mine. So they became tribes of Israel. And so we look at this. The sons of Manasseh, of Mekur, the family of the Mekurites, of Makur begat Gilead, and Gilead came the family of the Gileites. These are the sons of Gilead, of Zezreel, the family of the Zezreites, of Helek, the family of the Helekites, of Ashriel, the family of Ashrielites, and of Shechem, the family of the Shechemites, and of Shemidah, the family of the Shemidahites, and of Hifer, the family of the Hifferites, and Zelophehad, the son of Hifer, had no sons but daughters. And the names of these daughters of Zipherhad were Mehla and Noah and Hagla, and Milka, and Tizra. These are very important because they're going to come in, these individuals are going to come into the next chapter, these young, these young ladies. And these are the families of Manasseh and those that were numbered among them, 52,700. These are the sons of Ephraim after their families, the Shutalah, of Shutalah, the family of the Shuthalites, of Becher, the family of the Bachrites, of Nahan, the family of the Nahanites, and these are the sons of Shuthalah, of Iran, the family of the Iranites. 
And these are the families of the sons of Ephraim, according to those that were numbered of them. 32,500, these are the sons of Joseph after their families. The sons of Benjamin after their family, of Belah, the family of the Belanites, of Ashbel, the family of the Ashbelites, of Ahiram, the family of the Ahiramites, of Shufan, the family of the Shufamites, of Hufam, the family of the Hufamites, and the sons of Belah were Ard and Naaman, and Ard, the family of the Ardites, and Naaman, Naaman, the family of the Naamanites. These are the sons of Benjamin after the fa their families, and they were numbered of them 45,600. And these are the sons of Dan after their families, the Shuham, the family of the Shuhamites. And these are the families of Dan after their families. All the families of the Shuhamites, according to those that were numbered among them, were 64,400. And the children of Asher after their families, Jimna, the family of the Jimnites, of Yeshuai, the family of the Yeshuites, of Biriah, the family of the Biriites, and the sons of Biriah were Heber, and the family of the Heberites, and Malkiel, the family of the Malkiites, and the name of the daughter of Asher was Sarah. And these are the families of the sons of Asher, according to, the, to those that were numbered of them that were 53,400. Of the sons of Nephtali, after the family, uh, families of Yahzel, the family of the Yahzelites, of Guni, the family of the Guniites, of Zezer, the family of the Zezerites, of Shilem, the family of the Shilemites. These are the families of Nephtali, according to their families, and they were numbered of them. 45,400. And these were the number of the children of Israel, 601,730. Okay, so all these people, when they first started wandering in the wilderness, they left Egypt, they, they numbered 603,550. And now after 40 years of wandering in the desert and and all the wars that they fought, they now number 601,730, or approximately 1,800 less people. All of this just to show you that they're about the same number of people. <laughs> okay. And, and you know, these names don't mean a whole lot to us, but when, you know, for them in their day, that meant these names meant everything. These were the fathers of their country, basically. You've got Father Abraham, you've got You've got Jacob, and then you've got, uh, you've got Isaac, then you've got Jacob, then you've got the 12 tribes and their families. You know, this is, this is like for us Americans looking at George Washington, you know, Je Thomas Jefferson as the founders of our country and all these people that, you know, and all the other people that people don't know about anymore, okay? Uh, and and uh, Governor Morris and these other names that are famous for, for that in that day for us. And... Even in our day, if you were to give a recitation of the, the men who went to the Continental Congress, who started this country out, most people would not recognize the majority of the names of the signers and, and who they were. And they were just as important as the handful of names that we remember. And these people 
are listed for a good reason. God said, these are the starting part of my, <laughs> of my people. And we see, you know, 600,000, which means there's still roughly about three and a half million people out there probably. And we've explained why we come up with that number. These are the men that are old enough to fight. So they probably have wives. So you're at, you're at 1.2. And if they have two children each, you know, about two children each, you're sitting, you're sitting at about three million, <laughs> million people. And their families, as you saw, were usually much more than three and four people. So we, we believe that there's approximately three and a half million people wandering around this desert for 40 years. And still that many people as they're getting ready to enter in to the promised land. God has protected his people. Even in their hardship, they're still keeping their, keeping their birth rate up. All right, now we're going to do some a little, few things that are a little easier. Unto thee, and the Lord spoke unto Moses saying, unto these... The land shall be divided for an inheritance according to the number of the names. To many you shall give more inheritance, and to the few you shall give less inheritance. To every one shall his inheritance be given according to those that were numbered of him. Notwithstanding, the land shall be divided by lot according to the names of the tribes of the fathers they shall inherit. According to the lot of the possession, therefore, it shall be divided between many and few. So God's going to say, the bigger tribes get more land. <laughs> the smaller tribes get less land. And by the way, the way we're going to distribute it is by drawing, basically each tribe put their name in the, in the sack, and when it was pulled out, they were assigned, they would be assigned their portion of land. And when we get there, we'll talk about how they map that out and, and their boundaries. The Levites didn't put theirs in. No, the Levites didn't. Joshua, uh, Joseph gets his two, his double, double portion in there. Mm -hmm. The Levites are going to be given cities within each, throughout the land. <coughs> okay, and these, in verse 57, and these are they that were numbered of the Levites according to their families. Gershon, the family of the Gershonites. Korhath, the family of the Kohathites. Merari, the, father, the family of the Merarites. And these are the families of the Levites, the families of the Libanites, the family of the Hebronites, and the family of the Malites, and the family of the Bushites, and the family of the Korothites, and Korah begat Amram. And the name of Amram's wife was Jochebed, the daughter of Levi, whom her mother bare Levi in, the, in Egypt, and she bare unto Aram, Aaron, and Moses, and Miriam, their sister. And then, so we're looking at this, we're, we're looking, this is a good place um, to look at. There's very, huh? He got two. He got a double portion. Manasseh and Ephraim are both of his his first two sons. Okay, so so his, he didn't get named Manasseh and Ephraim. Manasseh and Ephraim get, and but they represent him, in that. So he has a double portion, which is, he really received the portion of the firstborn, by getting two, families in that. And Joseph was. Uh, Jacob's favorite son and basically gave him a double portion. He gave him the firstborn's uh, birthright. 
even though he wasn't the firstborn, Reuben was the firstborn. But Reuben was born to uh, Leah and not Rachel. <laughs> okay. And God is later on, you know, in the law saying that will never that will not happen anymore. The firstborn will be given the inheritance, even though God is the one that kind of put that process in uh, on it. Reuben. And so here we're seeing um, Amram was the wife of Amram's wife was Jacobed the daughter of Levi, and Levi, remember, is the first, is, in the, is a son of Jacob, and this is his daughter, so you're one generation away from coming into Egypt, and that daughter gives birth to Amram, and that, so that's three generations from the time, the time they, they come to Egypt, or two generations from the time they come to Egypt, and Amram gives birth to Aaron, Moses, and Miriam. Four generations are, are between the time they leave Egypt and the time that they come into Egypt. All right, now I just give you that number because there's a lot of debate on how long they spent in Egypt, okay? And there's only four generations <laughs> here. Now they still appear to be long-lived, so you could have some pretty, pretty long lives, but we know Levi, when he came in, was already fairly old. I mean, he wasn't, he wasn't a spring chicken. He was, he was already getting old. Jacob, his father, was, was going to live 17 years in Egypt, and he's passing away. Okay, so that's going to put, and, and he, he lived to, I think it was 137 off the top of my head. So you've got Levi, when he moves in there, about 100 years old. <laughs> when they come to Egypt, okay? Four generations. And there's only four generations between the time they come in and the time they leave. And we know that Moses takes them out when he's 80. So there's really only two generations that are growing up in Egypt. So I just want to bring that out for you to kind of make a point. Even if they lived to be 100, 120 for those two generations, they were only in Egypt for about 200, 250 years in Egypt. Now there's a verse in the New Testament that says that they, that they were 430 years before they came into the promised land, but he goes, when you read that carefully, he says, 430 years from the promise, okay? And does anybody know who the son of the promise is? Isaac, okay? He was the promised son to to Abraham. And it says in various places he was the son of promise. You know, when, when a hundred, hundred year old man and a hundred year old, you know, just slightly less than a hundred year, year old woman have a child, that is a miraculous promise. Even back in those days. Okay? And if you remember, you know, Sarah laughed when, when, when God said she would have a child because she goes, shall I have a child who is past basically menopause, you know, and she goes, the way of the woman has left me. <laughs> okay, so she's saying, hey, I'm not even having periods anymore. There's no way I can have a child. And, and, and this, uh, you know, angel, and, you know, which was happened to be Jesus, you know, is telling me I'm going to have a child. This is a miracle child because God renewed her, her life to her, you know, her, her womb to her and, 
so that she could have a child. How old is she? Huh? How old is she? Nineteen. When she had her had her had her child that God told wow. her she'd have. And she had complained, you know, hey, I'm 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 past I'm past childbearing years, God, you know. And this is why she laughed. I mean it, it was ludicrous to think that she was going to have a child, even though it's God saying it, it's it, you know, in her mind this is total insanity. There was no way she was gonna have a child and she laughed. And that's why they named him Isaac, which means laughter. And Abraham laughed too because it was kind of crazy to him at his age to have children, but he goes on to have a whole bunch more children after Sarah dies and he gets a concubine and he gives a whole bunch of children after that. So um, pretty amazing, amazing uh, life that he had. Two sons that, had, that we know a lot about and then another eight or nine that was after that. So, but we look at this and we see this generation. I bring that out just to say it was a short time in Egypt. But, and when they read that 430 years, they have to go all the way back to Isaac to be able to count your 130 years because he's the child of promise. Just a kind of a note to, to be aware of, uh, especially when you listen to people on the radio, they'll tell you, well, they were in, they were in Egypt for three, 430 years. There's not enough generations for that to happen, okay? Unless they lived a long time. <laughs> you know, you'd, you'd have to push these guys out to almost 200 years and, and then having their child late in their, in their life uh, for that to be, be a true statement. And I just bring that out just because it's just one of those little, little things to, when you examine all the different places in the Bible, and if you read in, in First Chronicles, it has a long, First Chronicles starts with a long eight chapter, I think it is, genealogy, and it tells you the same thing, that there were only four generations from Levi to Moses, and that counted Levi and Moses. So it gives you the same genealogy you read here in Numbers for Levi. And if that was too crazy for you, that's okay. <laughs> All right, let's see, where were we? Verse 60. And Aaron was born, and, of, and unto Aaron was born Nadab and Abihu and Eleazar and Ithamar. And Nadab and Abihu died when they offered strange fire before the Lord. Okay, and remember that story when the very first day that they were to give offerings. They were fired. They got fired, yes, permanently fired. Uh, they brought in the fire that was not what God said to do and did things their way. And God literally burned them. Okay? And so Nadab and Abihu were killed on the very first day of service before God. And, you, and when we taught this, we really talked about this. How many people are disobedient on the first day that they go to work? You know, this is, you know, usually you're on your best behavior on that first day of work. Now, maybe the second, third, fourth day you might, you might kind of play around, but on their first day of work, they yeah, they were trying to impress God or impress somebody, and, and, they, and they ended up dead. Verse 62, and, and those that were numbered of them were, were 23,000, all males from one month old and upward, and they were not numbered among the children of Israel because there was no inheritance given unto them of the children of Israel. Now note the difference on this. The Levites are counted one month and up. Everybody else is 20 years old to 50 years old. 
So there's a 30 year period where they can, were considered uh, worthy of battle. Mm. If under 20 didn't go to battle and over 50 didn't go to battle. And so here we are, we, we're seeing this is different for the Levites because there's so few of them. You know, there's just that handful of families. And verse 63, and, and these are they that were numbered by Moses and Eleazar the priest who numbered the children of Israel in the plains of Moab by Jordan near Jericho. But among those that were not, among these there was not a man of whom Moses and Aaron the priest numbered when they numbered the children of Israel in the wilderness of Sinai. For the Lord had said that they shall surely die in the wilderness and there was not a man left of them save Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, and Joshua, the son of Nun. So this is just a statement that here they are outside of Jordan, outside of Jericho. They're on the east side of the, the Jordan River at this point. And it says that generation that left Egypt is dead. And remember when they sent the spies in, the spies went in, 12, 12 spies in, said this is a wonderful land. Ten spies said, the people of the land are too strong. We can't take them. Joshua and, Gideon, uh, and uh, Caleb said, we can do this because God's on our side. And the statement of the, the people were, why should we go in and have our children killed? And remember, God said, fine, you're, you will die in the wilderness and your children who you were afraid will go in and take the land. And so we, here we are 40 years later and... The book of Numbers is the entire 40 years, <laughs> okay? We don't have a lot of what happened in the 40 years. They wandered around. And Deuteronomy is going to give us a list of all the places that they stopped and, and visited and camped and, and all of that, which, again, probably won't mean much to us without a... 27. Then came the daughters of Zephlophethad, the son of Hepher, the son of Gilead, the son of Milker, the son of... Manasseh of the family of Manasseh and the son of Joseph and these are the names of the daughters Mala, Noah, Hagla, Milcah, and Tirzah. Okay, remember I told you these girls were important and being listed amongst all the men told you that there was something special about them in the first place. Alright, so we're going to look at them. In verse 2, And they stood before Moses and before Eleazar the priest and before the princes and all the congregations by the door of the tabernacle of the congregation, saying, Our father died in the wilderness, and he was not in the company of them that gathered themselves against the Lord in the company of the Korites, but died in his own sin and had no sons. Why should the name of our father be done away from among his family because he had no sons? Give unto us, therefore, possession among the brethren of our father. So the girls come in and say, there's no, male, no males in our father's line. Why, shouldn't, why should we not get the possession? Okay, and this is pretty bold because you've got to remember, this isn't a time when women basically didn't have any rights. Okay, so these girls are coming up and saying, hey, you know... Uh, our father should have had land, and I th we think it belongs to, that we should get it. Among our father's brothers. Huh? Uh, the end of verse 4, give me us a possession among our father's brothers. Right, you know, give us, give us land. We, we, deserve, we deserve this land, and we see this as a very interesting challenge because 
even in that day and age, I mean, the, the, first, in, the first answer these men are probably going to think of is, you know, get back in the kitchen and, you know, tents and just when you get married off, you can, you'll, you'll have land, you know. It's, so that would be their normal answer because there's no rights for the woman, okay? Remember we talked about even in Jesus' day, it's an amazing thing that Jesus and God used the women to be the first witnesses of Jesus' resurrection because they weren't even allowed to give testimony in court. I mean, you could, you could commit a crime in front of a woman and they couldn't testify against you. All right? That's how low they were on the totem pole of, of authority, and yet God used them to be the, the first witnesses. Here these women are coming in and they're saying, we believe that we deserve some, some of this land. All right? And Moses' answer? And Moses brought the cause before the Lord. Mm-hmm. I love Moses' answer on most everything. If he didn't know the answer or he wanted to find a good answer, he went and prayed. He went and prayed for everything. And this is a good example to us. How many times do we run around trying to fix things and then we come to the end of our rope and then we come up with this idea, well, I've tried everything else, maybe I should pray. And God is saying, quit trying everything else and come to me first. God wants us to come to him. And I've heard people say something as simple as, well, I didn't think the problem was big enough for God. What problem that we as a human being can have would even be considered big by God, uh, be considered big to God. You know, uh, we died, he can resurrect us. I mean, it, and it doesn't even think twice about it. You know, uh, we need money, it's not a big deal to him. He's got all the money, he owns everything. You know, we need peace, no problem, he wants to give us peace. You know, whatever it is that we have to God is a simple, he created the world. He created the universe. There is no problem that to God is ever, you know, that we are going to experience is going to seem big. And yet we oftentimes will go, well, the problem, I just didn't think the problem was big enough to take to God. And this is something we have to consider, huh? Or I think I can handle it. But you know, God is wanting us to turn everything over to him because he wants to be the one that cares for us. He wants, he wants us to come to him. We have access to God. Moses had access to God, and he always was going on his face before God. And Jesus even spent the mornings early. He says in the scriptures over and over in the Gospels that he got up early in the morning to spend time with the Father. He started his day between him and the Father, just fellowshipping with him, getting ready for the day, presenting this, probably asking him, what do you want me to do today, that type of stuff. And we want to be able to start looking at the bringing God into situations quickly. And yes, there may be some very small things that we don't need his help on, but you know, we probably should even ask on those. The scriptures tell us in four places, the just shall live by faith. If we're going to follow God, then we need to live by faith. The only way we can live by faith is going before God and asking him what he wants us to do. Because a lot of times, even when we walk along and we do this simple thing that we think we can handle, we find out it was wrong. <laughs> you know, and, and it causes all kinds of trouble. And we handled it without prayer. We handled it without, without looking at what God wants. And God is saying, step back, let me deal. 
Let me deal with it. And he wants that. And Moses goes before the Lord. Verse 6, And the Lord spoke unto Moses, saying, The daughters of Zelopheth had speak right. They shall surely get, you surely give them a possession of the inheritance among their father's brethren, and you shall cause the inheritance of their father to pass to them. Okay, so God says, yes, it's right. They should get, they should get this property. It's another picture, and God has elevated women in the, in the scriptures all over the place. Okay, we see Sarah being elevated, you know, for her obedience that, you know, the people look at and say, well, why should she have been obedient? Because God said submit, and she did. We see Rahab rescuing in the people, the spies that are sent in in the beginning of, jo of, of, of Joshua. And she is lifted up. So much so that she is part of the line of Jesus. We see people <coughs> like Deborah, who gets to rule as a judge in, in Israel. And we, we see this over and over. God has elevated, <coughs> elevated the position of women. He does not look at them as second-class citizens. He does not look at them as, as worthless. He raises up the value. And now there are not a lot of them mentioned in the scriptures, but there's enough of them to say there's something different about Israel. When God brings, is involved, there's something different. They, they're looking at this differently than the rest of the world. And I just bring that out because this is God saying, yes, they deserve it. And then we look at this, and, and you shall speak to the children of Israel, saying, If a man die and doesn't have a, have a son, then you shall cause his inheritance to pass to his daughter. And if he has no daughter, then you shall give his inheritance unto his brothers. And if he doesn't have any brothers, then you shall give his inheritance unto his father's brothers or his uncles. And if the father has no, uh, and if the father has no brothers, or in other words, he has no uncles, then you shall give his inheritance unto the kinsman that is nearest him to of his family, and he shall possess it, and, and shall be unto the children of Israel a statute and a judgment, as the Lord commanded Moses. In God's laws, and we've talked about this in the past also, no person could sell their property perpetually. All right? Uh, when you sold, if you, if you had to sell your property, you would get it back at the Golden Jubilee. The 50, every 50 years, there was a Golden Jubilee, and your, everything that you owned, all your property, would be restored back to the original owner of it, okay? And God made rules saying that if you were real close to the Jubilee, then, then they could give you less money because they only basically were renting the land for a shorter period of time. And so here he's establishing it. If somebody dies and they have no immediate family, then the person who is closest to them, still alive, is going to be able to, will be given that land. So it would never leave the possession of the tribe that it, that it belonged to. All right? And we're going to see here that this is what God says. Because God is saying, this is my land. I have given it to them, and you're not going to sell it and lose it. And so this is a very interesting place. And this near kinsman part comes in later on when, you, when we look at the story of Ruth. Okay? 
where Boaz rescues Naomi and, and Ruth. Naomi, is that right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Naomi. That's her mother. Yeah, okay. It just didn't sound right when I said it. When he rescues them from, from losing everything, and he says, I'll buy, I'll buy their land, and I will produce the air for, for Naomi so that they do not lose their air. And that was part of what was done. If you died without children, your, your wife belonged to the next nearest kin, which was usually your brother. Uh, and could move up the strain, you know, to a cousin, an uncle or a cousin. If, and if you remember the story, uh, Boaz says, well, I'm not, the, I'm, not the nearest, I'm not the nearest redeemer. There's one other that has the right to buy it and didn't want to buy it because, they, uh, because Ruth came with the, with the property <laughs> and he had to produce an heir for, for Naomi. And so he goes, no, I don't want it. And Boaz was able to get Ruth. And so we're seeing the process here where it says the land will not leave. It's, it's going to stay in the family. In verse 12, And the Lord said unto Moses, Get you up into this Mount Abraham and see the land which I have given unto the children of Israel. And when you have seen it, you shall be gathered unto the people as Aaron your brother was gathered. For you rebelled against my commandment in the desert of Zin in the, in the strife of the congregation to sanctify me at the waters which before their eyes, that is, the water of Meribah at Kadesh and the wilderness of Zin. So God is saying, you get to look at the land, but you're not going in because of your, and we're going to take you home. This is how we know we're at the end of the 40 years <laughs> because Moses has, said, Moses has been told, prepare, prepare the people. You're going to, become, you're going to be gathered. You know, and I love the way they say, you're going to be gathered. <laughs> You know, which was the same language I used when Aaron died you know, back a few chapters. He was gathered to the people, and they buried him. And Moses' body, we learn later on, was never recovered. Jude tells us about how God took his body and buried it. And this probably makes great sense, because we, we as humans have this tendency if we, to elevate things and, and idolize them. If they knew where the tomb of Moses was, you could picture the shrine being built right over his temple and saying, come, come, come journey here and see the shrine of our, of our great leader who brought us, into the, you know, brought us to the promised land. And we see that also, if you remember we, when we were talking about the, the bronze serpent that they, that they built and they, they looked at it, it sticks around and becomes an idol, an idol to them until Josiah destroys it because it's an idol. And they started worshiping the bronze serpent instead of God. And it's human nature to do these things. And this one of the reasons I believe that Jesus didn't write anything or, or you know, have any pictures of him out there. Can you imagine if we had a, a book, the book of Jesus, you know, written by Jesus? <laughs> the rest of this book would probably be thrown away. Well, yes, this is his book, but I mean, literally handwritten by Jesus. You know, I mean, nothing else would matter. You know, this is the one that God wrote with his own hand and nothing else would be out there. Uh, we see, we've seen what the Catholic Church has done. Uh, it's been said that there's enough pieces of the cross to make eight or nine crosses out scattered all across Europe. Uh, and they took all these things, relics, and tried to make them things that were worshipped. And the poor apostles, when they died, they would, they would go find their tombs and scatter their bones all around Europe. 
and, and make them special shrines. And we have that tendency. So in this here, God's saying, I'm taking his body. I'm going to go bury it. And we get the picture in Jude of the battle between Satan and, and uh, Michael the archangel over the body of, of Moses. And uh, if you want to read Jude, it's only one chapter. Only one chapter. And it's, but it talks about that battle. Jude. 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 The book of Jude. One chapter right before, right before, uh, huh? right before Revelation. All right. And then he goes, you're going to die. You're not going in, in verse 14, because you rebelled against me. One of the things, if you notice, when Moses talks to the people of Israel, and we'll see this in Deuteronomy as well, he always does not take responsibility for his sin. He, when you read what he says, is because of you, I'm not getting, going to get to go in. And it was because of his anger at them when they, when they asked for water and they were murmuring and, and complaining. And remember that at Mizrah, uh, at Mirabah, excuse me, he struck the rock and God told him to speak to the rock. And because the rock that produced water was a picture of Jesus, the first time he was to strike it just as Jesus had been struck, and the second time he was just to speak and ask for water just as Jesus has to be, all we do is request that quenching and that, that life and he gives it to us. So he messed up God's picture of Jesus and he was told that he was not going to enter into the promised land. All right? And, but he keeps, when Moses tells, uh, the Lord tells him, you did it. You rebelled. You got angry. You were disobedient. But everywhere that he talks about, Moses talks about it, he says, it's your guys' fault. He's still blaming them. I think if, if he had ever just decided to repent, God might have said, okay, you can go because you've repented. But he always blamed them. It's your Moses fault. Not of that. Not of that. Not of that. Not that we see anyway. Uh, in Deuteronomy, we're going to see him say, "Because of you, I don't get to go into the promised land." And he keeps. That's his. That's his attitude the whole time. Is you know, I didn't do anything wrong. You guys made me so mad that I struck the rock. Okay. And as we said Sunday, if we don't recognize that we are sinning in some area, we'll blame others, we'll give, we'll give excuses for it, and we won't repent. And this is why it's important for us to, when God says something is a sin, we call it a sin, we deal with it as a sin by repenting and asking for the strength to, for him to crucify our flesh in that area and the strength to get, get past it. But until we're willing to say, this is a sin, we're not going to deal with it. And God's not going to deal with it if we're not willing to repent. And this goes to any sin, any sin that we're doing. Once God reveals it as a sin, we need to say, God, I agree with you, it's a sin. I confess that I have done it. I repent. I'm not going to do it anymore and move forward. And we'll probably fail a couple more times before we finally get victory. But again, we come to him and say, God, it's still a sin. It's still, I still am repenting. Help give me the strength to overcome it. But until we call it a sin, we're not going to deal with it. As long as we think it's a sickness or somebody else's fault or I was raised this way, it was the only way I know how to live. You know, if we make excuses, 
we're not going to deal with the sin. And there won't be victory over a sin as long as we're sitting there saying, well, my parents made a bad example, and this is why I, you know, they stole so I steal, they lied so I lied, you know, they, you know, they were unfaithful to each other, so I'm unfaithful to my spouse, you know. All the different excuses we use, well, I'm, I, I got this sickness, you know, I'm, I'm a kleptomaniac, I just can't help myself, God, and God says, no, it's stealing. <laughs> you know, and as long as we want to excuse it and make excuses, not, not accept it for sin that it is, we will not have victory in that area. It's got to be called sin before we can have victory. And that is getting into God's word and agreeing with him. In, in Greek, the word for confess is homologeo, which means to say the same thing as. God says it's a sin. I need to confess. It's a sin. <laughs> If I'm saying, well, God, I, I, it's not really good, but, you know, I don't do it very much. Or, God, I know it's a sin, but, you know, it's the lifestyle I've lived all my life. And, you know, God, I know it's a sin, but, you know, it's, I've been doing it for so long, it's, it's really not that bad. I can't, I can't get over it. Anytime we put these buts or excuses in it, we're not confessing that it is sin. Moses never confesses that it's sin in his life that we read. Okay, now maybe he did at the very end, we don't know, but all through here he says, you guys are the reason that I didn't, don't get to go into the promised land. Right. And, and he never deals with it as his problem. And Moses wasn't, had a bad temper problem, we see it all over the place. But Moses is in heaven. He's in heaven, oh yeah, he's, he's forgiven, he's, 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 I'm sure he's in heaven, I mean it's, you know, because it's all by grace. But he didn't get to go into the promised land. Okay, he's wandered around for 40 years with these headstrong people dealing with all of their complaints and, and problems and he doesn't get the reward of going into the promised land because of his anger. Because think about this, when he came down off the Mount Sinai with the Ten Commandments and saw them in their orgies, what did he do? He broke the Ten Commandments. Now he was just so angry, he broke the Ten Commandments and and you know, basically kind of brutalized the people for a little while, and then God said, get back up here, we got to, you know, we get to, you get to rewrite these things. <laughs> and, but Moses' anger was seen a number of times with his quick temper. He got in trouble in the first place by killing an Egyptian because he struck a Hebrew. Okay, his temper flared up and he killed somebody. Okay, this was the type of man Moses was. He ran off because of that. Right, he fled to... He fled to Midian. The Midian. Because he was afraid for his life. Right. Because he was not technically one of Pharaoh's sons. And at that time, maybe Pharaoh had other sons. And it's this, okay, this was going to be, you know, what are we going to do? And this guy might take over. And so he was a little afraid for his life. And he left for 40 years. All right, let's see... Verse 15, and, the, and Moses spoke unto the Lord, saying, Let the Lord, the God of the Spirit of all flesh, set a man over the congregation, which may go out before them, and which may go be, before them, and which may lead them out, that they may bring, and bring, which may bring them in, that the congregation of the Lord be not as sheep with no shepherd. Moses is still, at this point, caring for the people. Okay, God, I've been leading them. It's been 40 years. Who's going to lead? Okay. And it's kind of interesting that he's asking God. He's already been grooming a leader. 
Okay, Joshua, the son of Nun, has been at his side. He's been sent out as the general, uh, all of these things. But he's going to God and saying, God, who shall we pick? Who is going to lead this people after I go? And verse 18, And the Lord said unto Moses, Take you, Joshua, the son of Nun, the man in whom, a man in whom is the Spirit, and lay your hand on him, and set him before Eleazar the priest, and before all the congregation, and give him charge in their sight. And you shall put some of your honor upon him, that all the congregation of the children of Israel may be obedient. And he shall stand before Eleazar the priest, who shall ask counsel of him after the judgment of the Urim, before the Lord, at his word shall they go out, and at his word shall they come in, both he and the children of Israel, Israel with him, even all the congregation. God says, pick, Joseph, pick Joshua. I want you to bring him before the people. Put your hand on him and, and bless him. And it says, give him, give him part of your honor. Basically, he's saying part of the spirit that he had. And remember, many chapters ago, Moses was complaining, saying, there's, there's too many problems with these people, God. And God says, okay, grab 70 elders, and I'm going to put part of your, the spirit that's on you on them. Okay, because God has plenty of his spirit. He can put it on as many people as he wants. And so 70 people got to, to get God's spirit on them so that they could make decisions and talk to God and hear God and two others that weren't in the 70 <laughs> that Moses picked. All right? And so here he's saying, bring Joshua before me. Put your hands on him. Give him, give him of your spirit. And he shall be the leader. Bring him before Eliezer. And it, and it says, who shall ask counsel of him after the judgment of the Urim. Okay? And you may not remember the Urim and the Thurim. They were some form of stone, some form of stones that gave yes or no answers to the people. They would go to the, they would go to the priest and say, should we go out? Should we stay? What should we do? They would pull these stones out and do whatever they did with it. And it doesn't really tell us what they did with it and come out with an answer on whether you know they should go or not go or stay or follow or uh, we don't know really what they were some people believe they were two stones one one side black one side white that would you know by different combinations give them answers uh, they some people believe that they were some form of gem that cast lights and would you know would, and according to the light patterns they would be get an answer we don't know what they are and they have been lost so they will not be able to be recreated when they start the next temple because they weren't available even for the temple of Jesus's day they did not have the Urim and the Thurim so but here he's saying Joshua will have the advantage of being able to go to the priest and have answers God knows where they're at God knows where they're at yes mm -hmm. We don't as people, but he does. And Moses did as the Lord commanded him, and took Joshua and set him before Eliezer the priest, before all the congregation. He laid his hands upon him and gave him charge as the Lord commanded by the hand of Moses. So we're going to end at this point. You know, there, we're starting to see the transition from Moses to Joshua. We have a few more chapters in Numbers to cover where they're going to go over a lot of the law, and then we get into Deuteronomy where Moses gives one long last message before he is taken away.
did a fine job reading the family <laughs> names. No, Hopefully. Yeah, repeat them again. <laughs> Let's close in prayer. Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity we have to look at your word. And, and Lord, just how you order things and that you are an orderly God that, that puts things in order. You, you listed the people so the people so that we would know that you are in charge. And we, you elevated the, the, these daughters up and gave them land. And you, as Moses was being released, you, you put a person in charge and that you always will fill everything for us. And I ask you to be with us as we go. In Jesus' name, amen.